0: You're listening to High Temperature Times, a high-temperature podcast for a high-temperature industry. My name is Griffin Patterson, and I'm an application specialist with Harbison-Walker International. Industries that require refractory products are those of high-temperature, high wear, and high-intensity environments. I could talk to the most severe of these all day, every day, like the cement industry's ultra-high chemical activity or a cyclone's ultra-high abrasion. But the reality is that not every part of every vessel is that extreme, and those extremes don't apply to the whole vessel. So this month, Application Technology Director, Bryn Snow, will be joining me to talk through some of the logic behind zoning vessels for optimized performance at an optimized price. But we can't get to the good stuff before we exhaust our technical marketing inbox. There are a lot of questions about the refractory industry, so please send yours to technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com with the subject line podcast to get your question on the show. This month, we've got a question from Peter Jenkins asking, I've used and like your set mortar, but I can't for the life of me figure out why it's blue. What material property is making this a blue mortar? I can see how it would be confusing to open a bucket of mortar only to see Joseph and the Technicolor mortar mix, but I can assure you that there's a perfectly logical reason behind that. In some industries, there are a few options for mortars and bricks, and those options don't always play well together. So, HWI took the initiative to color mortars so it's easier to tell what mortar goes with what brick. You mentioned that silica mortars like Silset and Vegabond mortar are blue-colored, but there's also AZS mortars like Zermo Mortar that's pinkish-orange, and zircon mortars like TZ-Dry that's yellow. Applying the wrong mortar to the wrong brick can have some pretty serious consequences, and the color can help prevent that. For example, if you were to mix Vagabond with HW Corundum brick, the silica would react with the alumina to form mollite, which is a very expansive reaction. On the other hand, if you mix Zermol with the silica brick, you'll get the same thing happening in the opposite direction. Funnily enough, given that AZS and silica are not friends, we often put zircon in between as a buffer, since it's a true neutral. Thank you, Peter, for the fun question, and I hope it was somewhat educational. Now that everyone has learned a little more about mortars, we can get into the nitty-gritty of zoning refractory products. To do that, I have Bryn Snow here with me today. Really glad to have you on the show, Bryn.
1: Hi, Griffin. How are you?
0: I am doing well. I am recording a podcast, and it is good fun. Could you start with a short background on your history with HWI?
1: Sure. I was hired by HWI about 11 years ago after completing my bachelor's in ceramic engineering from Alfred University. I started as an application specialist for the glass industry and have traveled to 14 countries, uh, problem solving for our international glass customers. While I was quite busy taking on new responsibilities at work and traveling the world, I also received my MBA from Robert Morris University and took on the biggest responsibility of all, mom to two beautiful daughters. Currently my official title with HWI is Director of Application Technology for the non-ferrous metals and glass industries. And once travel restrictions subside, I will continue to travel to what I expect to be many more countries in order to support not only the glass industry but the copper, aluminum, lead, and nickel
0: industries. So I guess before we talk the full details of zoning refractory products, I guess we need to get an idea of why it's important to do such a thing. Could you help take us down that line?
1: Absolutely. Economics is of course the first thing that will come to mind. You definitely do not wanna overspend on refractories if you do not need to. But it's not the only part of the equation. Whether you are inside an aluminum furnace or a glass melter, There are sections of the refractory lining that see more severe environments than other sections. It is easy to differentiate between metal or glass contact and sections above the melt, but it is a little harder to distinguish between sections of the superstructure that are corroding due to more alkali vapor attack versus alkali condensation. Considerations for material choices need to go beyond just the maximum temperature limits or the chemistry of the material, there are plenty other factors that contribute to the performance of the refractory lining, which is why HWI has over a thousand different products to choose from.
0: So with a better understanding of why we need to zone refractories, do you have a good example of an application where it might be really important?
1: Of course. The best example I know for zoning refractories is actually in a regenerative glass furnace. In the regenerators, there are temperature ranges from 600C to 1600C. In these three-story tall refractory structures, there are brick that line the walls, crown material, and an entire refractory checker pack that fills the entire structure. The sole purpose of the regenerator is to store heat in order to preheat the air before going to the burners. This process reverses every 20 minutes from one regenerator to the other. Pulling air across the melter, which also brings a lot of other issues along with it, like glass batch dust, alkali vapors, and byproducts from the burner fuel.
0: So getting a better idea of how the regenerator works, while one regenerator is purging to preheat the burner air, the other is taking waste heat off the melter and getting hot?
1: Absolutely, that's right.
0: So to really help visualize these beasts, bricks are stacked inside like a house of cards inside of a refractory lined, for lack of a better term, silo, with hot air coming in from the top of the melter and purged out through the bottom to the preheater.
1: Kind of, it's a little stronger than a house of cards. Um, if it was a house of cards, we'd be afraid of it just collapsing at any time, right? Um, it's more like Lego bricks that are stacked up in a way that it forms uh cavities between the bricks. And if you were to stand on top of the whole pack and look down, uh, you can see clear to the bottom through the flue.
0: Yeah, I guess not quite like a house of cards. But let's unpack this a little bit more. You have this absolutely massive structure lined with refractory, as well as being filled with refractory checker packs that form these flues that pull the heat from the process air and store it until it's reversed. And that heat is pulled back out. I can imagine that there's a whole list of destructive mechanisms at play here.
1: Yes, these refractories not only see the differences in heat, but they also see high abrasion from the batch carryover, you know, the particles of of glass on melted batch that are there. Um, fly into the regenerator. And so it it sees a lot of abrasion. As you work down through the regenerator, you will get um, a lot of alkali attack, alkali condensation, which then will have a a corrosion mechanism. And of course, these are very tall structures. So you need a lot of hot strength uh, capability, even down to the rider arches.
0: So it's, it's a lot of different destructive mechanisms in a lot of different areas. So I think like in some industries like gasification, we're just talking about the less extreme, the more extreme and the most extreme destructive mechanisms where they're all basically the same factors. So there we simply go from good performance to better performance, to best performance all on the same compositional scale. It sounds like that's not quite the case here since there are so many different bad actors at play across the regenerator.
1: Right. Sure. We think about things in good, better, best uh, in many different scenarios, but some refractories are just better at certain things, kind of like humans are better at certain things than others. For example, we manufacture brick to be the best at alkali attack, but it might not be the best at thermal shock. Or we have another refractory that is the absolute best at hot strength, but it might not be very good at alkali attack and so forth.
0: So can you go down the regenerator thinking about the destructive mechanisms that are there and how we tackle those destructive mechanisms with the compositions we use?
1: Sure. For the sake of time, we'll, we'll just, you know, speak in generalities here. Uh, but at the top of the checker pack where there is the most amount of heat, we have a lot of batch carryover. Uh, we need the premium refractory such as uh, NARMAG 98B or NARMAG BZ is used where as you move down into the middle checkers, the severity of the attack is not so great. So we use our workhorse SuperNarmag B. Then you move further down into the condensate zone. That's where it's getting a little bit cooler and all that alkali vapor will condense on the refractory. And again, we need that premium refractory, which typically there we use a Narmag BZ. Finally, as you move to the very bottom of the pack, which is the rider tile and rider arches. The temperatures aren't so hot, but creep resistance is king. So we use Kayla, an HWI exclusive 50% alumina product.
0: And I think that's where, that's what I like it most. It's, you know, we're talking about the Narmag, which is a magnesia product. And then jumping down, we actually completely switch composition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we could go through an example in the wall as well, where we eventually switch composition from a fire clay to uh, an Andalusite material, or sometimes they even use magnesite in the walls.
0: Yeah. And I'm speaking about the walls. They're they're not going to be treated the same as a checker pack because despite them being in the same area, they accomplish completely different tasks. So can you actually speak a little bit more about the walls versus the checker packs?
1: Right. So the walls are actually heated from one side. And the, the whole purpose there is to keep all of the heat inside the regenerator where the checkers, uh, their purpose in life is to hold that heat and pass it off to the air. And they are actually completely soaked refractories. And so you have different parameters to consider. Even the max use temperature consideration changes for the refractory. For example, the maximum use temperature in a wall actually has a, a lower mean safe mean temperature in that refractory because it's just heated from one side where when you're talking about the checker, the the safe mean temperature is the max use temperature because it is completely soaked.
0: Yeah. I mean, thinking about that a little bit further, it's quite a small difference, but a very significant one that the walls are meant to keep the heat in. So you're looking for something that has a high insulating value, whereas the checker pack, it's kind of irrelevant, right? Or do you want something with a high thermal conductivity there?
1: Correct. It is the complete opposite. You want want a a low thermal conductivity in the wall and be able to withstand all the, the alkali and the temperature and everything. Where in the checkers, you want the highest thermal conductivity possible, which is why we use Magnesite because it is one of the highest thermal conductivity refractories that's made.
0: It's also convenient that it has a slightly higher specific heat. Yes. I guess maybe those things will go hand in hand, though. I'm not sure. (laughs) I think one of my favorite aspects of zoning refractories in this application is the maintenance work of it all. You have extreme temperatures at the top, as well as a higher propensity for chemical attack due to those temperatures. But then on the other hand, you have this overwhelmingly high load at the bottom that risks creep-related wear. Is the zoning designed to have a uniform lifetime across the whole regenerator?
1: That is the goal. However, there are some known weak links. For example, the top checkers are a weak link in the checker pack. They typically have the the worst wear they plug up. And so there will be some hot repair work that is conducted throughout the life of the furnace using lances to clean in order to extend the life of those top checkers to meet the rest of the life of the middle and lower checkers.
0: And one of the things that regularly eludes me as an application specialist at HWI is just how many refractory products we have And just how vast the catalog is in terms of product diversity. How the heck is someone supposed to take a problem like a glass regenerator and apply the best brands to solve this laundry list of challenges? And don't say, just do what we did the last time.
1: Well, we can be inspired by what we did the last time. However, you should always start with the basics of the application. And then that way funnel the product into categories based on material type. Once you get to that, you will have several refractory products to choose from even in our catalog then you can get into the nuances of the application and get down to the specific product choice whether you need you know a high alumina product with thermal shock resistance or you need a high alumina product with high hot strength um while you're in the same family of products each one does a specific job now that's easier said than done so don't hesitate to reach out to hwi's application support team for some in-depth conversations about your application.
0: In-depth is an understatement. <laughs> Since we have some time left, let's go through another example where zoning refractories has proven to be successful. Did you, did you have another one in mind?
1: Sure. There are several, uh, but one that I most recently worked on was a cupola.
0: Isn't, isn't a cupola Italian architecture?
1: Uh, It may have been inspired by that, but this is definitely a furnace and not just uh, our architecture.
0: A cupola furnace. Okay. So why should we consider zoning uh, a cupola furnace?
1: When zoning a cupola furnace, you actually are the inverse of what we just described in a regenerator, where instead of the top of the structure is the hottest. In this case, the top of this structure is actually the coolest. And as you move down through the unit, you get to the melt zone. So you actually have three or four different sections. You start at the upper stack, which, like I said, is, is cooler. And then you move down into the charge zone in the preheat and melt zones.
0: So can we look at just what's happening in each one of those sections that we're trying to combat with our zoning
1: Absolutely. So the upper stack, really not much happens there. It's it's more refractory line just to hold the heat in from the process below. Uh, where we really start getting concerned about what refractory we're choosing is in the charge zone. Uh, you get a lot of abrasion from charging. And like I said, it is the cooler section of the furnace, but it's ramping up to the hottest section. So you get a lot of uh, thermal gradient and thermal shock. Temperature ranges from 600 to 2000 degrees Fahrenheit. Then as you move to the preheat zone, you can have a lot of abrasion from just the charge moving through it, passing by. Uh, It won't be nearly as much abrasion as you see in the charge zone, but still abrasion is a consideration. And thermal shock resistance is also a lower need in this section, but there is a little bit of temperature gradient there, about 2000 degrees to 2,400 degrees Fahrenheit temperature range there. Finally, we get to the melt zone, which is the main event. There's a lot of slag attack, metal corrosion, and very high temperatures up to 3,200 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: All right, so let's play a game. Let's let's pretend that we're not zoning a cupola furnace. What would happen if we took the refractory from the top section and lined the whole cupola with it?
1: In the upper stack, we typically use a Ufala or a Cruz 70. If you use one of those products all the way down through to the melt zone, uh, you would have refractory failure and very severe corrosion uh, down into the the melt zone for sure. And in the charge zone, uh, you would have a lot of abrasion attack as well as maybe some thermal shock considerations.
0: I imagine in that melt zone, it would just basically digest the refractory.
1: Correct. It would not last very long.
0: And then the other way around, what would happen if we took a refractory composition from that melt zone and lined the whole thing with it?
1: Well, it would be quite expensive, especially when you're considering uh, the upper stack could range from Euphala Cruzite 70, or even a Clipper DP. Sometimes people use just a fire clay up there, um, and down in the melt zone, we use Corundle XD is our premium choice, and so it would be very expensive and not perform quite as well either in the charge zone because the charge zone has a lot of thermal shock that we talked about with that huge temperature variation. And so the Carondel XD, while it would be okay to the main elements, it wouldn't be as good in thermal shock as we would see in the Tough line 90.
0: And then what would happen if we had a refractory that was a great product for every section of the cupola?
1: Well, then you would defy the laws of physics, my friend. Uh, sometimes just the physics of the refractory compositions, the way they're put together, you, there is no silver bullet. You can't, you can't get all things into one brick.
0: All right. Well, as a young engineer, it's, it's sometimes difficult for me to see the longevity of these units like regenerators and cupola furnaces. I look at some of HWI's long-standing customers with vessel linings that are super complex and zoned to tackle each specific area as best as possible not knowing that it likely started out as a single refractory composition. Given the fact that many of our listeners are probably young engineers as well, do you have any advice for them on how to get started in zoning vessels they work in?
1: Yes. Start your focus on the areas where the wear is the worst, where you see the most failures or the corrosion is the worst. Uh, Start your focus there. You don't need to change the entire design, but rather just that one area And you could call it a zone, right? We're talking about zoning refractory. So start in a zone defense against that liner. All
0: right. Excellent. Thank you very much, Bryn. I know this wasn't the hyper focus on the glass industry like you deserve, but the topic is a really great one and it's super applicable across a serious number of industries. If you'd like to learn more about glass regenerators, cupola furnaces, or need help zoning your vessel for optimized refractory performance, reach out to us at tactical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. And for all you new listeners pouring in from wherever you pour in from, I kindly ask you to subscribe to High Temperature Times wherever you see fit. Thanks for listening.